Welcome back to No Class. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Okay. So, um, we have a couple more guests today. Um, we wanted to introduce you guys to Shauna Sule. You guys can um, say something a little bit about yourselves. Okay, I'll start. Um, I'm Suleiman Abdul-Mateen, but everybody just calls me Sule since forever. <laughs> um, I don't really know. I don't, I'm not extol. I don't want to extol too many virtues that I have. Extol all virtues, <laughs> um, I've known Chantel since high school. Um, I know Anthony from mutual friend Maxwell, and uh, I'm just ready to, you know, get on the podcast. I've been listening. You guys have good conversation, and I'm just hopefully I can bring some value to it. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Cool, cool. Hello, everyone. I'm Sean. Um, let's see. I met Anthony, what was it, at a conference, I think I was in? Yeah. I was in at a conference, and this is my first time meeting and sharing space with Chantel. Um, been in Baltimore for about two years, have my own consulting company, um, and so yeah, I'm excited to engage around the conversations today. Yes, well, um, thank you guys so much for coming. We definitely appreciate it. We've been having conversation while we were setting up, and so far, so good, guys. Mm-hmm. Y'all are in for a treat. Um <laughs> So I wanted to start off with an opening question. Guys, be very honest and transparent, okay? Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, if you could get away with a crime, what would you do? Like, what would the crime be? That is easy. Tax evasion. Oh, right now? Like, <laughs> that, was, that was my first What? As a business owner, and then, like, the first, I moved, when I moved to Maryland, the first, um, in 2017, so filing taxes, from? Richmond. Okay. So then filing taxes, like it was the first year I owed state taxes. I'm like, what is this nonsense? <laughs> like, I don't, I'm, I'm broke, you know, but as a business owner, you know, mm-hmm. trying to go through all of the processes of starting a entrepreneur, you know, a, mm-hmm. a social entrepreneurship, um, it's been challenging, like all the fees and everything, all the taxes you have to set up. So it would mm. definitely be tax evasion. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> no, 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 he's like, no, 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 all right. Mm. Because, Look, we bought so you. Y'all think I'm big. Absolutely. Build the wealth. Build the wealth. So I work in a restaurant, and this guy came in, and he's telling me he works for the MTA, and he's talking about a construction company. These guys are telling about this cannabis company that's coming up, mm. and he was saying this guy put up like some millions in there, and it went from two dollars a share to ten dollars a share already. So I don't know if that's illegal, so I don't want to go too much into it. Yeah. But no. So then I was like, I was like, man, if I could get some stock tip and take my life savings, just throw it at it. Oh my goodness, like, yo, like Martha Stewart was trying, she got mad, I was like, yo, I'll definitely take that. That's a white collar crime. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to stack some bread. Dang, I feel like my crime is petty. Oh, big, mine's petty. So mine would be, um, and this just wouldn't be in the city, this would be everywhere, but for 
somehow at the same time, maybe at like three in the morning, that all those fucking speed cameras just blew up. Like there was a bomb on. <laughs> no, Arce, look, I got all the laws. All of them gone. Just like I don't understand how, especially the ones in Baltimore. There's some that literally just sit on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. How come they like nobody spray painted on them? Nobody's busted them. They just like. What? Why are they still here? Like parking meters and yeah. parking meters to the mix. Okay, okay, and you can get quarters out of that at least. That's the reward at the end. It's the prize in the cereal box. Why nobody doing it? Why? Yeah, those parking attendants are crazy. Like literally, you'll come to the car as they're riding. It's like, nah, nah, you gotta get a ticket. I'm like, really for that thirty seconds? Like that forty dollars? Like, God, nickel and dominoes. So, I didn't even think about what mine would be. But, like, hearing all y'all great, like, crime sprees that y'all want to commit, I'm going to go on the money train, and I'm going for the bank system, shorty. Like, give me the money out the vaults, okay? Oh, I'm you going to set it off? Okay, so, like, before I came here, I was watching Blue Streak, okay? Yeah. And when he hit that diamond in that vent, I was like, I can do some sneak shit like that. You know, I'm like, on my late, well, my little weight loss tip, you know what I'm saying? I can squeeze the old vent or two. So, if I could give me some some Fabergé eggs or something, stack them up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, cash it in, do me some art buying and shit like that. And, you know, do something, do something you know, for the community. I, I'll give it back. I'll be Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. Okay. Robin I'll be Hood. Robin Hood because I know what Baltimore needs and we need that coin. <laughs> I will add a bonus to that, though. Like, find a tech geek, get rid of these student loans. Uh, hack oh, into the yeah, loans that would be like, good. What you got to do is steal oh, money. Have you ever seen Office Space? Morning. Oh, no, I haven't. So, in Office Space, they set up an algorithm to where every time their company makes a transaction, it takes, like, the round, like the fraction of cents and puts it in an account. Mm. So, like, by the end of the movie, because their companies, like, million-dollar companies doing all these transactions, they have, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. It's like, you just set up a little algorithm, like, you're taking, like, little pennies on the dollar, like, rounding uh. up. Next thing you know, I mean, Bank of America probably does millions of transactions a day. So, like, if you're taking fractions of cents, over the course of a year, that's, like... Tens of millions of dollars. We're all about to get knocked at the door by that. Yeah. 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 Y'all want to continue this conversation at another time. <laughs> <laughs> Look in the details of this episode. Some real good details out here. <laughs> okay, that was a cool opening that question. That was fun. That was fun. So now we're going to do the honor roll. So shout out to everybody who's left comments, left likes on our social media. Um, encourage you to keep doing that. Follow us on our IG, on our Facebook and our Twitter, and email us, like we always say, with ideas if you have some. Uh, first, we want to shout out Clean Beauty Supply. Um, they were highlighted on our homework um, from last episode, and we did a story on them, got lots of likes, and they mentioned us and thanked us for the love. Um, and also, Miss underscore Brittany, spelled B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-H, left a comment, as did J-A-Z. M A H A I R I N C Jasma Hair Ink, I'ma say. Um, Mimosa Water Podcast, Mimosa Wasted Podcast also left a comment on that one. And then we had our biggest post that I think we've ever had, which was with the young Abby, yeah. who at the beginning of Women Month, Women's Month, did a whole bunch of poses of covers of artists. She did Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. She did Brandy, Anita Baker. Well, she did it for Black History Month, but oh, I, okay. wanted, I wanted us to highlight her because, you know, she she highlighted some pretty influential women in, in the music industry. Yeah. And I was like, that's pretty dope. But the girl was so cute she on that. so fly. <laughs> she looks so fly. So thanks for everybody who gave us some love on that, specifically Nikki Martin, 
Um, beautiful Butterfly 43, Diva underscore Delight 2829, Love underscore Soul underscore Music, um, Multi underscore Million underscore Dolla, D-O-L-L-A, don't get it twisted. <laughs> and then the Black Detroit Black Fire. Shout out to you all for being on the honor roll this week. Yes, thank you guys yes, for commenting and liking. Yeah, we really appreciate the love. Yes, keep doing it. It's for the four o'clock time. Let me get my red pen. I feel like somebody's in for detention. So it's report card time. All right, then. There's a lot that's been happening since the last episode. Uh, let's talk about some stuff that's in the news maybe you've all heard about or haven't heard about. Who's going first? You want to start with Jesse? No, it's your boy. He was passionate. <laughs> passionate in that pre-recording. We have, we have done Jesse so wrong. So Jesse returned back to Empire mm-hmm. um, this past Wednesday. It was the first time he has come back to the show since he was... He received those 16 egregious felony um, counts by the grand jury about him um, falsely reporting a hate crime to Chicago PD. Um, as everyone may know, you know he's been written, written out of the like last two episodes of the show. Um, but Twitter is not having it. So it's just like people are not supporting Jesse. You know, we're pretty much done with him. Everybody... Feels like, you know, he um, kind of got them on an emotional hook and then uh, it turns out that he may have allegedly lied. But I am on the Queen Latifah bandwagon and I'm going to say until I get some definitive proof outside of the Chicago Police Department because they're not to be trusted, then I'm on Jesse's side. Like I just just seeing the trajectory of Jesse's career, knowing how long the Smolets have been in the industry you know, hearing this narrative that he did this in order to get a high, higher salary just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and it's just not the person I think that we've seen historically. Uh, and I think that we kind of owe him some credit not to, you know, trust the justice system because historically it hasn't worked too well for black people. And it's just really interesting to see sort of that, that transition of people now, oh, he lied, you know, we're supporting the Chicago police. It's like, really? Come on now. Um, but I definitely feel, you know, what Queen Latifah said, like she was talking about how it's just not the person that she's worked with. It's not the person that she's known historically. And until we get some like critical evidence that points to him, like fabricating all this stuff, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not buying the bullshit. Cops lie. I've worked around them. I know they lie. I was one. They mm-hmm. teach us to lie. Like, can't buy it. Okay. Can't buy so, it. innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven guilty all the way through. Despite Not, public opinion despite, saying guilty until proven innocent. Despite public opinion because the narrative was written before he ever made his first public statement. Hmm. You know, I'm, I just, I can't buy it yet. Give me some more proof. Mm-hmm. And until one of those uh, white women who have falsely called the police on black people living their daily lives end up with a felony count for, you know, calling the police. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. You know, yeah. he may be going through through something, but, like, I think he deserves our support mm-hmm. and for us to figure out what's going on with him mm-hmm. instead of, you know, just jumping on the bandwagon of discarding him and canceling him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I think our society has become so aggressive in making declarations that everything gets, like you were saying before, there's like the cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that people were so quick, like when the story first came out, then people jump one way. Mm -hmm. And then when there's questions, then people jump the other way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's always these overcorrections. Instead of just people just sitting back and saying, okay, 
this is what appears. This is the initial story. Okay, let's let's identify. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's some holes in the story. This doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Instead of just sitting back and saying, okay, I'm not sure what happened. Mm-hmm. Let's just see. Mm-hmm. Because no one wants to be caught that if he does go to like go to jail, whatever happens, then it's like they don't want to look stupid and mm-hmm. feel like, oh, well, I supported him. Now he made me look mm-hmm. dumb. Mm-hmm. If somebody puts something out there for you, like Queen Latifah knows him. I don't really, I've right, never watched right. Empire. I know yeah. that sounds blasphemous <laughs> to say. So like, not really. Me personally, he's <laughs> a celebrity, and this is this is the story. So it's like I'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But people like, if you know him personally and you want to stand by him, that's fine. And yeah. if it turns out he was lying, how does that affect you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like right. you can believe him, and then if he's lying, that's and he was the one who lied. Yeah. And then if he was telling the truth, like you don't want to be on the other side. Like, like let's just sit back and mm-hmm. like let what happened happen. But like that's completely separate from the show. Like mm-hmm. from what I've read, people are like, oh, he's really good on the show. The character, mm-hmm. the characters right, make the show. Right. So what does him like let his legal situation play out? If he gets convicted, then write him out of the show, and mm-hmm. then we can all go back to our normal lives. We don't yeah. have to like make all these crazy declarations just because we want to be ahead of the curve. That's yeah. how I feel about it. I think you guys make a very good point, especially because um, as fans of the show and as fans of Jesse, like people get very attached to him and they mm-hmm. think they know him, and we we. As a society, we tend to do that a lot. Like, you think of all the barbs, mm-hmm. think of all the bee beehive. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. we get attached to people so closely that we feel like we we gotta you know fight for them. Like when things first came out about the story with Jesse, like everybody was so emotionally tied to it. You know, even one of my coworkers, she she told me that she shed tears about it because mm-hmm. she, um she was upset that someone could be attacked to that manner. And, you know, she was like, I was very emotional about it. And she was like, if this is a lie, like, I'm going to be very upset because I was emotionally tied to that. Like, especially because of the injustice and the brutal killings that people of the LGBTQ plus community face Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, just living their lives, you know what I'm saying? So it's crazy to hear about this story and then for the Chicago PD to be like, he lied about it the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there have been stories, of course, about the Chicago PD just being like, like y'all are liars anyway, mm-hmm. so why the fuck should anybody believe mm-hmm. y'all, you know? I'm definitely one of those people where I'm like, I'm leaning, I'm swayed back and forth too, just right. because I I know that I liked Jesse when I did see him on Empire, when I was watching it. And then when I would see him in different interviews and stuff, and I'm just like, yo, like, shit don't make sense. Like, if this is really... Like, if this story is true that the Chicago PD is putting out and they're getting all these facts and giving him all these charges, like, if this shit is true, like, I'm going to be so torn, Mm -hmm. which is what a lot of people are feeling, you know? And on the other hand, you definitely have, like, the argument of, like, why are we trusting these corrupt cops? (laughs) Like, the whole agency is corrupt. And y'all not even solving these murders and deaths of these people in Chicago. But y'all going to talk about how Jesse Smollett is, you know, lying 16 charges, you know? Mm -hmm. So... The emotional ties to it, that's exactly why everybody is just, like, swayed back and forth. Mm-hmm. But for us to put it out there and for the commenters to be, like, you know, going back and forth underneath his pictures and stuff like that. Like, it's definitely worth discussion. But as a, as a whole, like, I do think all of us need to just, like, pull it back and be like, let's finish out this race. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, let's actually yeah. see what the fuck is going on instead of us keep making judgments about it and then, mm-hmm. yeah, you're going to look like a dummy if you're wrong. Mm-hmm. So. 
Yeah, and I think everybody in the social media age um, doesn't have patience. You want all the answers right now, and instead of just saying, just sit and just wait and see how it develops, it's like, no, I have to go 100% hard one way or the other. And so I can totally get on the one side of, I was triggered by this because Mm -hmm. there's so much that's in that story that like there's at least a piece of that that most of us as people of color can relate to or LGBTQ can relate to in that. Um, to feel like, okay, I was triggered in that and now I'm invested in that story that I want there to be um, some type of response or some type of answer or some type of do justice in that. And then there's also the other side that subconsciously I think that a lot of people want to be able to say that he was wrong because it's easier to blame it at the one person at Jesse versus an entire institution being a police department, mm-hmm. right? And because we've been shown multiple times after time historically that we don't get justice when a police mm-hmm. department has done something that's corrupt, right? And so it's like, well, let me just kind of like lean. I already put my feelings already here. I already got mm-hmm. wounded and got hurt. So let me lean on this side because it looked like it might not, you know, I might end up and be like hanging out in the wind looking really, really stupid now. Um, but yeah, I would encourage everybody try to be patient with it. Yeah. You know, it's still so much that's just unknown. Yeah. And I think the, I think for me, sort of personally working with like LGBTQ victims of crime and, you know, all of that, trying, like, people who were so quick to sort of dismiss, you know, um, the impact that this would have against the community itself. Oh, he's lying that we can't trust other victims. It's mm-hmm. like, you weren't invested to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the narrative that you've come up with, it's now that his story will impact our level of belief in other victims who come forward. You were not invested mm-hmm. in, you know, the impact of crime against, like, that our community um, from jump so I don't know it's just it's one of those things where like you said I want to look at it from various perspectives yeah. um, I want to wait till all the information comes out but definitely at this point like I mean but I think as my support I think but to your point and like this is something like as black people especially like we're generally anti-police mm-hmm. like because of things that we've con- been conditioned to think and I think that the same confirmation bias works both ways mm-hmm. in that the people are going to be like okay either the police are lying like there is no it's like the police always lies so they're lying mm-hmm. or people make up stories to victimize themselves mm-hmm. so this per- so he's lying and I think that it's a slippery slope to just ride that train constantly right. mm-hmm. of like right. just taking whatever we think. And I think that's like what social me- media allows yeah. people already think away and they're just looking for stories to confirm right. the way they think mm-hmm. yeah. as yeah. opposed to identifying every, because things that look alike aren't necessarily alike. Mm-hmm. Like it can be true that people would like to victimize for intention and the police lies like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like they both can right. be true. Right. And I don't think that this story confirms either one. Right. Yeah. It's just exactly. one individual sure. story. Exactly. And I think exactly. that people need to be careful when they take when they see things in the media to just say like, okay, well this is just like every other scenario. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, it's similar. Yeah. But we still that doesn't mean we don't dive into the details. Mm-hmm. So I think that like it's dangerous to just do that, to just read a story and say, Okay, well, I'm just gonna put that in this file this away under, you know, criminality by the police department or like you know the people lying to for attention or money or whatever mm-hmm. i don't think you should do that i think that like we could acknowledge that those biases exist or like those situations are common and at the same time still dive into the details and i don't think that makes you like inconsistent as a person or something like that i think people feel like if you question jesse then it's like now he's like are you against black people are you against gay people like mm-hmm. no not necessarily or it's like or if you're against the police like do you hate all police officers like if people just jump to these right. vast over you know generalizations and it's like how can we can't just like you know 
dig deep into, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're going to talk about other stories that have like overreaching sure. premises, mm-hmm. but like we're still going to look at each individual case on its own merit and then mm-hmm. make a decision because that's the only way society can progress past all the stereotypes and the biases and all the stuff that we have and mm-hmm. all the baggage, you know what I mean? So what grade would you give it? Who are you um, grading and what grade would so you So I'm going to grade just social media, the Twitter followers, whomever. They get like just a complete F for me. Um, I think we really have to, as a society, learn to allow people to share their stories, share their experiences, figure out what's taking them down a particular path before we cast judgment. Um, you know, I know he's mentioned plenty of times being a 30-year-old trying to navigate fame. So maybe that sort of contributed to it. If he, you know, if it does come out that he fabricated this story, like we have to, to give space for people to share what, what has happened to them. Um, I would definitely, I think, give an A to the celebrities who supported him, who's known him. Um, even, you know, because it, it could definitely tarnish their career. Again, mm-hmm. if it comes out that, okay, he did fabricate the entire story, but the fact that they are standing behind him and still trying to help maintain, you know, just the character of the person that he is, is sort of, I, I think that should be rewarded. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Nice, nice. So what's up next? Um, I want to talk about R. Kelly. Now, <laughs> this is another um, case that's been highly publicized. Um, but, oh, actually, yeah, they've had like um, docu- a docuseries, Surviving R. Kelly, come out about him too. And um, it's just a lot going on with him. Uh, he was first, he was arrested on 10 felony counts of, um, I think it was a sexual abuse or a child sexual mm-hmm. abuse. And then he was bailed out. Wasn't that like a million? $100,000. I think it was a million dollars. It was like a million, million dollars, dollars first. So and then he yeah. was arrested again after he did the interview with Gail King mm-hmm. um, for back child support. Mm-hmm. And that bill was posted for $161,000. Um, I want to understand <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> but I don't think anybody can truly understand what's going on. Um, this These rumors about R. Kelly sexually abusing... Well, look, I'm just saying, like, back then, (laughs) back then they were rumors because they hadn't, you know, pressed any charges or convicted him for anything. So when we were growing up and we saw those tapes and stuff, like, well, we didn't see those tapes because we were very young when the tapes came out. But (laughs) somebody smiled like, I saw those tapes. You saw the tapes. It was nasty. But, you know, it would seem as though they were rumors because the way people have been had still been supporting him and now like we're coming out and now he's actually getting charged and being convicted and having to go to court and all these cases are being filed but like who the fuck keep bailing him out like if this man is really guilty like when are you gonna let him suffer the consequences of being a guilty man like i'm not understanding what's going on right now um what do y'all think about everything that's that points to i think just a larger contextual cultural issue we have with sexual assault abusers and survivors, especially when they're young women in our community in general. You know, how many moms do you see are protecting the boyfriend or aunts or grandmothers protecting the uncle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that, again, sort of goes back to a larger mental health question. 
what is going on with these folks that they think that, you know, it's okay to continue to bail him out, given that there has been a consistent history mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. evidence. Video evidence. Video evidence, yeah. right. Multiple videos. Right. right. Um, and so, you know, I think, again, like, with our people, like, what's going on? We gotta have, we have to be open mm-hmm. to having these conversations and understand sort of that, um, I think, psychological impact, the mm-hmm. historical impact mm-hmm. that we have around abuse and navigating mm-hmm. abusers, especially when we feel emotionally connected to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, so I think it goes to, like, what you were saying about the celebrities supporting Jesse. Mm-hmm. It's, like, to the extreme. And I think black people, <laughs> not but I think yeah. black people, because we, like, we, it's been us against them from the jump. Right, right. That it's, like, when do you give up on your boy? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I have a friend, then it's, like, how much evidence, like, have you ever seen the Chappelle Show skit where they ask him about <laughs> if he thinks mm-hmm. that R. Kelly's real? He's, like, I need to see Neil in the mm-hmm. video. Mm-hmm. His grandma gotta be there. She gotta be holding mm-hmm. that beat. It's, like, at what point are we gonna say, hey, you know what? We're done with R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's tough because, like I said, we have a lot of situations where there's people who you feel like are unjustly scrutinized. And you're like, I don't want to abandon this guy. But it's like, come he married R. He married Aaliyah in the 90s. Like, mm-hmm. like we, he likes little girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't know any way around it. Mm-hmm. Like, how many times does he have to show us who he is for people to say, you know what? I don't need R. Kelly. And then mm-hmm. he go back to that damn McDonald's where he be recruiting the girls from. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, after he got released. In the play place? <laughs> place. I hope that place don't have a play place. Please tell me he was coming down the slide. <laughs> Yo, it gives 12 play a whole new meaning. Please. Yo, I mean, like, I just don't understand. It's like, let's just let R. Kelly go. Like, we can just, yeah. like, he's, we can, let's, let's take our emotional energy mm-hmm. and focus it on somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, come on, dude. So like, you canceling him after you just, no, I, he deserves to be canceled, though. He deserves to be canceled, though. We don't leave a place in our society for any nuance. Right. Where it's like, it's like you either are this way or you're that way. Like, I'm not saying that we cancel everybody, yeah. but some people need to be canceled. That's right. Yeah, and let's get rid of R. Kelly. And because it's stupid. Like, I feel bad. Like, it's like, I don't want to talk about him. And like, anytime mm-hmm. I question, it's like anytime the conversation, like, there's a lot of nuance to the R. Kelly conversation. Yeah. But it's like, I don't want to have it about R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Like, I was talking about how, like, like we sexualize young children. Mm-hmm. We watch TV shows that are geared towards, like, 10 or 11-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm going to ask her out. And this it's like, you're 10. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you worried about going to the dance and mm-hmm. going on dates and stuff like mm-hmm. that? Like, we sexualize our children. But that's a conversation I want to have outside of R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. defend R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be like, we can have a conversation about this and have it nothing to do with him. Because, like, put him in jail. Mm-hmm. Like, and we can just stop talking about him as a culture and we can get rid of dudes like him because he's a sexual predator. Mm-hmm. Right. And, like, I don't care, like... And even if you're going to say, like, okay, even if the girls were 20, 21, like, get rid of R. Kelly. Like, he's just a bad guy. Like, yeah. I just don't get it. Like, let's stop focusing on him. And I want um, kind of what you're saying. How do we start to have these conversations without R. Kelly being in it? Mm-hmm. And I get that, like, him being there and being someone that everybody knows helps get people into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I've been wondering and think about is how do we even, and thinking about this cancel and throw somebody away, do mm-hmm. we cancel and throw people away because we don't know what to do with them, right? And mm-hmm. so what happens if we know that prison does not actually work and reform people mm-hmm. and what kind of help do they get? And instead of us trying to say, how do we figure it out or what kind of help or what healing do I need for my uncle that nobody trusts around right. kids. Yeah. Not my uncle, but yeah. a lot of people yeah, talk, yeah, yeah. I ain't talking to <laughs> uncles on blast. <laughs> but instead of saying, like, a lot of us are like, let's cancel it. How do we figure out how do they get that help that he obviously yeah. needs help, right. right? 
And again, I'm not not to focus it on R. Kelly, but yeah. how do we do that in our homes and in our communities yeah. instead of so much of just like let's cancel because this does hit at home. A lot of us do know a lot of people that have done this. Yeah. A lot of us have had these conversations before. So what do we do besides cancel it and hope that we don't see them and they don't show up anymore? There's also like a generational component to that too. I think for us, you know, we're a lot more aware of these issues and because Mm -hmm. of social media, you know, it's a constant conversation about sexuality and violence and health and abuse. Um, So we, the dynamics of how we're having a conversation, I think are starting to shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. Like, how do we do that? You know, what does that healing look like for those, for, for those people that we are connected to that we know are, contributed to the abuse right? mm-hmm. I mean I think as a society we've progressed to talking about problems but we've taken a step back in terms of addressing problems mm-hmm. you know sure. what I mean mm-hmm. like, I feel like people mm-hmm. are, are always and like I think that the conversation needs to be had it's like do you guys know you know Jordan Peterson is mm-hmm. okay he's like a he's like a conservative speaker and he's like really popular he's like become really popular he's a professor and a psychologist in Canada anyways he did an interview on Vice okay. and they're talking about like um harassment of women in the workplace he talked about how it's a relatively new concept of men and women working together and he was saying Mm -hmm. that like we don't know how to deal with it because like for example like a lot of things that we do are sexual signals like men and women dress certain ways and do certain things and carry themselves as signals like not necessarily consciously but subconsciously and it's like we don't know how to address like how to behave like what rules do we need to address and i think that we as a society haven't identified like what rules are going to be in place Mm -hmm to, like, govern people's behaviors. Mm-hmm. We're just so into, like, people should do what they want until it doesn't turn out right. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, that's just a slippery slope in the sense of, like, we need to have rules on, like, how people should behave. Like, how should adults behave with children? Like, and obviously, like, yes, men, yeah. like, you're a grown-ass man. Don't get with 13, 14-year-old girls. But in terms of, like, how, like, family members interact and, like, how we have the conversations and what guidelines you set up with, like, you know what I mean, those type of family members or anything like that, like, I just don't, under- like, I don't even know. I'm just saying, like, I don't think we set up rules. We just, like, know when lines are crossed and we mm-hmm. push people away. And we talk about the problems, but we don't really create a formula to solve mm-hmm. them. And I think that, like, because that's the tough part. I feel like it's based on morality, too. Right. <laughs> morality <laughs> morality that, and, the value, and certain people's value right. systems, it differs across the board. But that's what makes it tough, person. is that, like, because yeah. something mm-hmm. that you might think is wrong, other people, like, there's an article, I think it was in Vox, talking about, like, in a, I think it's in Korea, they have, like, a holiday where they eat dogs. Mm-hmm. And not, and I'm not saying that to be denigrating or anything, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, that's their culture. And they're saying, like, in America, like, that's such an abhorrent idea, mm-hmm. but, like, that's part of their culture. Yeah, like, little, is it wrong? rough, rough or something. But, like, is that wrong? But I think people generally are able to express when they feel uncomfortable about the situation. Mm-hmm. The problem becomes that sense of entitlement that we carry along yes. with access, the access that we think we should have to people's bodies and yes. space. And so when we're denied that access, yes. mm-hmm. it's then, oh, well, you know, you have... Um, you've insulted me. And mm-hmm. it's just like, how dare you? You know, yeah. I'm telling you I'm uncomfortable about something. That should be enough. I mean, I, and I think about this in the context of kind of to go off topic, but not really. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about like trans identity and people saying, well, that's a, that's a man or mm-hmm. that's a woman. Mm-hmm. If that person is asking you to identify them as how they choose to be identified as, it has absolutely, you know, no type of violation against your morality, mm-hmm. your body, your how you operate, mm-hmm. you know, operationalize or whatever yeah. through, throughout the world, how you show up. And it's the same thing with consent or sexual assault. If mm-hmm. I'm telling you I'm uncomfortable, if I have said no, stop. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. It's mm-hmm. simple as that. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think we need to 
have that um, conversation about like where the boundaries are. The boundaries are expressed when I say I'm no longer comfortable in this particular mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. I do think there has to be a larger conversation around you know consent, especially when we're talking mm-hmm. about children. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Anytime you get your child, oh, go hug your grandma, go hug your yes. auntie, go hug yes. your auntie. It's like Those maybe that child doesn't want to do that and they they have that fear about speaking out about being uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. they're going to be punished by that um i think as adults we have a larger capacity to understand where that is so i think that's a certain empathy but it's a cop-out to say you know well we don't know no you know because i told you but i think but i think like for example but i don't think there are boundaries from the like i think the boundaries are important and i don't and i think that vocalizing boundaries and like um rebuking someone are different from this standpoint like if you like for example like if i came in like i know chantelle i gave her a hug and then oh, okay i'll give her a hug like and then she's like oh i don't want that like okay that's fine i don't think that you did anything wrong i don't think in, i don't think if you violate someone's personal boundaries necessarily you did something wrong if you if there's no malice intent and i think that like the conversation needs to be in place in terms of boundaries from the standpoint of like, like i work in a restaurant so like it's very like crude and like there's a lot of stuff that is said and done in a restaurant that like it's it's just a it's just a I don't even know what how to describe it. But it's like if I say something to a girl that I know or something like that or vice versa and she says something to me that like wouldn't be offensive and then someone else does the same thing and she's offended by it, like the fact that like the person didn't have any mouths and they're like, Oh, we're just making jokes. Okay, that's fine. And I think that if a person if you were to be like, Oh, that makes me uncomfortable, then it's like, Okay, now I know now I know that you're uncomfortable and we can just move forward. I think that people are just like, if you violate someone's boundary, it's like you should have known that that was wrong and now you did something wrong. I was like, no, I, I made a misjudgment and then now we move forward amicably and now we're better off for that interaction. Which is very, really drastically, like a really drastic conversation from what R. Kelly yeah, has no, been doing, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, we're, so we're, like, a, like yeah. I, I also want to, we have to wrap up on this, but also in the same way congratulate us in a lot of ways for saying that we need to have a conversation about that, that that documentary was even done, right? Because it was said for years and years and years that it was happening, that there's actually, like, light that shed to it, that people are like, this is enough for me. For the people that are saying that it is canceled, you are dismissed. And even though there's, you know, there's still more work to do, there's still more people that are like, I support him, I'm going to keep bailing him out. But I think there is, like, after that documentary, there's a lot of people who canceled him who I never thought would. Mm -hmm. Um, So what would you, who are you grading and what grade are you giving? Well, before I give a grade, I want to add on briefly to something that you said, because I was looking over um, on BuzzFeed, they have an article and... Not only um, are we starting to become emotionally invested in canceling R. Kelly, but across the world, like mm-hmm. there have been people who are challenging, you know, sexual assault and sexual abuse around the world. Mm-hmm. Especially because we all know, like some some other countries are not support of women's equality. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are more violations that happen in those other countries. Um, the article I read was in particular about the Me, a Me Too movement started in Ethiopia mm-hmm. and how um, there are women who are speaking up and they're confronting their abusers who are in their family, dads, uncles, mm-hmm. you know, people who are very close to them. And what Sean said earlier about, you know, them not caring, like I've read sentences and comments about, you know, these women, you know, confronting their abusers and their abusers being like, well whatever you know Mm -hmm. so this conversation is very important because 
like Serena Burke, like when Serena Burke first started the Me Too movement, every time we talk about sexual abuse and sexual assault and the way that it affects us as a community, there's someone whose eyes are being open, whose heart is being open, and who is allowing themselves to be like, that was something that I also, you know, felt or, you know, buried deep inside me, and now I want to mm-hmm. speak about it, and I want to make sure justice is done because I don't want this to happen to nobody else. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, I'll wrap that up. Give us a break. <laughs> Um, so I, I want to give a grade to the people who are continuing to support him, even though you guys know, or y'all won't, y'all don't want to believe that he is who he is, even though you, you see who he is and he's showing you, um, y'all get an F, fuck y'all because (laughs) it's ridiculous. It is. It's very ridiculous that you have people who are so dedicated to making sure that y'all see R. Kelly on the road and Y'all getting his coin and his money, but y'all not supporting him getting the fucking help he needs. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Hurt people hurt people, yes. But if y'all know this nigga hurting, why aren't y'all getting him some help? Mm-hmm. Fuck y'all. F. Alright, our third idol. Okay, so um, there's a Florida teen, Camilla Campbell, who took her SATs. She didn't score that well. Mm-hmm. A few months later, takes her SATs again. Very good score. College offers coming in. And uh, Education Testing Service flags her second SAT score for review. And they send her um, a notification that they're, you know, canceling her score because it's potentially fraudulent. Um, and they're argue- they say that they rarely ever do it in their pamphlet. And unless they have explicit information that there is some collaboration with the testers or they had they had the answers previously, um, and they haven't really verified as to why specifically they counted her score, um, I think this obviously speaks to denigrating black accomplishment, mm-hmm. um, putting an asterisk by you know seeing a black person succeed. There has to be some fraudulent circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just messed up. I mean, I don't think there's any other way you can wrap it up. Like, yeah. I think that we, like I said, obviously earlier, we have a bias to think that, like, things are going, like, the world is against us. And without the type of, you know, clear-cut and open-ended conversation, like, they need to give her explicit reason. Like, okay, this is why we are canceling your score. You can't just say, oh, we, we learned some things. you got to mm-hmm. give some exact. Because you're messing with somebody's life, like, their college and mm-hmm. their future. And I, it's not right. Not only... Are they doing that? But they're um, illustrating practices that are illegal. You know, mm-hmm. like you're not you're you're canceling her score because you think that she can't do so well and she might have cheated because she's a black woman mm-hmm. or because she's a black student. Like they don't offer the same amount of like reason or you know just story for a person who is white who mm-hmm. would have had that same success story. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like. You're, you're, I don't know. It's just a lot that goes on with the school system that I've been reading, especially since um, what has been going on with Felicity Huffman and um, Lori Laughlin. Like, we don't have to get into that now. I know we were going to get into that eventually. But yeah, that's a huge (laughs) juxtaposition when you think about this young lady who she probably took a lot of courses probably got a tutor had to pay mm-hmm. all these yeah. all this money out of her damn pocket herself mm-hmm. to make sure she succeeded in getting a good SAT score so that she can apply to a school and possibly yeah. 
be afforded a scholarship because of it. And then you have, you know, another child who is raised by money. Her parents both got money, talking about um, Marcy Moe and Lori Laughlin and their, their daughter, Olivia Jade, who is is the epitome of white privilege mm-hmm. when you get to the college level and you get to those schools and she skated on by and she, and you see her on YouTube and she talk about I don't even like school. Mm-hmm. This bitch got in school and you don't have to worry about student loans. You don't have to worry about how's my mother or my dad going to be able to pay for school. Like how am I going to be the first person to graduate from college in my family? Like mm-hmm. you ain't got to worry about that shit. So, alright. I just, yeah, so like Elevating whiteness always comes with a cost, you know, elevating white mediocrity always comes with a cost. Um, And so I think that is what they did. However, what really pains me is the fact that, you know, black intelligence, black tenacity is always seen as a negative attribute. Right? We're always, oh, you're just so smart or, you know, and it kind of goes back to that. Sort of slave recognition, right? That the the good the good Negro, the smart Negro, mm-hmm. or you think you're better than everyone else. Um, and trying to navigate that, especially as somebody like who came from the hood and really worked their way up to mm-hmm. um, secure access to to different uh, academic spaces, or right? to be able to have a better opportunity for myself, and then to see her realize, oh, I need to take some extra opportunity to improve my score and mm-hmm. then be punished for it. It's just like mm-hmm. so painful, um, mm-hmm. and <laughs> it just annoys the hell out of me, especially when you hear white people um, coming up to you and trying to completely uh, dismiss your achievements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't deserve in the space. And that's why we're mm-hmm. often trying to navigate, right? This imposter syndrome mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. We don't feel mm-hmm. like we belong in spaces, mm-hmm. even though we know we're often 10 times smarter than the smartest white person in the room. And they know that. Yeah. Which is, they know that, which is why they have to go through the process of trying to invalidate, you mm-hmm. know, our yeah. intellectual prowess. Yeah. It's like, Personally, like you were saying, I can't imagine being her and being, when I read the article um, on The Root, it said that she took the SATs and then she wanted a better score. And the second time she was taking it, she was actually having tutors and actually practicing mm-hmm. the first time that she did. Mm-hmm. So to be like, hey, I didn't do well. I have test anxiety. And to be like, I've been studying all the way to this. My score improved, and like you have this high, like great, and people right. taking that away from you, yeah. and be like, actually no. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening in this time too is she has deadlines that she's trying to meet, and they're taking the score away. They're yeah. like, this is right. about you yeah. can't use it. So this is affecting when she's going to be able to get into college. Mm-hmm. And now they have to, they have an attorney. Like all this yeah. is happening while you're still in school, right? Yeah. You're a senior. That is a lot of shit that's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's so similar to the other stories. People have been comparing the story. I don't know if y'all remember the mom who um, used the address of, like, the father. Mm -hmm. And then she ended up doing time. And then there was another mom who used another address for one of their kids in a different district and had to pay, like, a large fine for it. And you compare that to what's happening with these white moms with all this privilege and all this money, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, we we can't even show their mugshot. Right? Right? It's expensive being black and poor. That's yeah. all. <laughs> I mean, I think I think what's most disconcerting is the lack of transparency. Like, mm. if, like because my thing is like, it just it baffles me to think that they that they look they're like oh she's black and she did a lot better so she's like what is like you I just need to know I need to know what exactly was so inauthentic mm-hmm. that you that they felt they had to cancel the score it's because she's black but but my thing is like i i, I mean 
it's just so lazy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it, I mean, like, there's really no it other is. way to describe it. No That's why it's like, but that is that is white. You that is white me, privilege. You can't tell me that there's nothing. That there's just nothing. She just got a better score than that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, right. I mean, they assign they assign that you know story to a lot of men and women who are Latina, mm-hmm. Latinx, or black. Mm-hmm. You know, going into these very prestigious schools like. Didn't we have a story a few months ago about a, the this young Yale student who had the cops called on her right. for sleeping in her right. own yeah. yeah for taking a nap right. in her yeah. in a right. their own space like yeah. they don't think that people of color belong in those spaces you know yeah. like that's not a that's not a that's <laughs> how transparent can you yeah. be about that mm-hmm. and I mean, and like like in full in full disclosure like I don't really care about Lori Loughlin or Felicity Huffman like I mean mm-hmm. they broke the rules but. I don't think it's that egregious from the standpoint of like most of the kids that got like if you got into USC or you got into Yale, you got into Stanford, that wasn't your only option. So I'm not of the mindset of like this kid, like you're like you're taking a spot from a kid who's now going to become like going to be a failure in life because you bought your way. And like if you're rich Mm -hmm. and if like if I if somebody can tell me, hey, spend a million dollars and your kid will be successful. I mean, as a parent, like I would be like, okay, like I can I can fathom how they be okay well i'm gonna take this money so my kid can make it Mm -hmm. i can fathom that but i just think that it's like i just don't i think like to just to just so blatantly disregard any type of meritocratic ideals where a person works hard and they succeed i think it's just that's it's laughable like it's Mm -hmm. it's crazy it's Mm -hmm. it's beyond i mean we we are we are the the people who have to do the 10 times harder or 100 Mm -hmm. times harder than the white people just to be able to like be on the same playing field yeah, as them. Yeah. Like I know, a, I do know a couple um, African American people who went to Yale and went to Harvard for medical school. They were the only people who were black, you know, in those spaces or like going and doing residency in their hospital. And they're like, "Yeah, I, you know, went to Yale or I went to Harvard." And they're like, "Oh." You know, they make a face at you because like, you're black. You went to Harvard mm-hmm. Medical School. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they don't believe that, I. you know, I'm black and I'm smart. Mm-hmm. And I am all these things that are unstereotypical, you know, of yeah. what you thought of me. Mm-hmm. Because you tried to make sure that I wouldn't succeed. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in seeing how it's going to develop because this is one of those crimes that you can't act like you didn't know was happening. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. I didn't know that I paid that million dollars. And I'm dollars sure this, this shit like, has been going on for out. years, yeah, you course, know. Yeah. Just because this one man had hit his little fake charity, like, I'm sure it's a lot of motherfuckers out there with fake-ass charities, so mm-hmm. doing this. So how you grading it? And who you grading on? <sighs> I mean, I have to give the ETS. I have to, I, I, you have to give them enough. I don't know how you can give them anything else. I'm giving her an A, obviously, because... Yeah. To raise your giving score, giving her to Camilla. Yeah, Camilla okay. Campbell, giving her an A because mm-hmm. to raise your score three hundred points, that's impressive. That's yeah. a feat. I mean, sure. like I mean, I knew I knew people couldn't even cheat that well. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 like, like like I said, to show that like you to put in the work, I think that like you know they, there's a there's a saying whoever seeks finds whoever reaps sows whoever mm-hmm. traverses upon a path arrives at their destination, um, and like to see like to like I think that like. We need to support that more. I mean, and I know people are going to focus on the negative aspect, but I, I hope that a lot more people are commenting on how impressed they are that a person who fails at something the first time, or not necessarily fails, but mm-hmm. like struggles, yeah. they try again. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think like so many people would be discouraged 
like it's like oh well, I test take is not for me or like this mm-hmm. college isn't for me or whatever mm-hmm. and to take a step back and say okay I didn't do well my first attempt what can I do to better my circumstances like that's impressive so mm-hmm. A plus you know full I hope scholarship. this just sort of like eradicates the need to take a test in general to get into college I wish like, it was it should, yeah it, should, it just should be openly accessible I mean I, I get the value of it I just don't think that like I think a test is a means to an end, and I just don't think that we it's supplemented by enough. Like I think it's just like you take the test, you either did well or you didn't. It's like the interview process needs to be more expansive, mm-hmm. in the sense of like get a general general idea of like like and I think they should put more encouragement. Like okay, talk to mm-hmm. someone's family, their teachers, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like put more on recommendations mm-hmm. than a test because like if a teachers if teachers are going to bat mm-hmm. for a student, that says more than if they did well in a four hour block on mm-hmm. a Tuesday, you know. So out of all these stories, who are we putting in detention? Let's find one person, and who are we giving a gold star to? So, out of all, I think it was all F's. For <laughs> one of y'all gave an F out. R. Kelly is he's who has the biggest there. F. I think R. Kelly definitely. R. Kelly's got the biggest <laughs> F. He's expelled. Okay, and who are we giving the gold star? Oh, Camilla, 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 okay, nice, nice, good job, Camilla. You got the gold star this episode. Can we find her and tag her? Oh yeah, oh, we yeah, should. We totally I would love should. to. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you got an IG, Camilla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you got a MySpace? Uh, <laughs> okay, so passing it over to Chantel for our main topic. Okay, so today's main topic. Um, it's a lot of us in the room. You know, we're all of a certain age, and we've had <laughs> a certain age. <laughs> a certain that made us not old. We're, we're very I mean, seasoned. if y'all if y'all want to give y'all age, y'all can do that for sure. But um, so we've had experiences in our lives that have shaped us to you know who we are right now, and we want to take it back down memory lane and kind of go through um a few different topics and discuss different ages and what we were thinking, the things we might have done differently had we known better. Um, just talk about those things. So. What we're going to do is um, we have a bowl filled with different topics. We're going to each pick from that bowl and we're going to, you know, take it back down the memory lane, talk about things that might have been influential to us or spoke volumes to us in that age or what could have been different. Yeah. So, y'all ready? Ready. Let's do it. Okay. Who went first? I'll go first. I'm okay. going to say brave salt. Ooh, self-care. Ooh. Self-care. So, yeah, what age are you revisiting and oh my what are you going to say to younger Well, I feel age? like there's other, there's other pieces. Like, self-care is so broad. Mm-hmm. It could be physical. It could be mental. So, I, I feel like I would go to two points and one would be a physical and one would be a mental. So, nice. with my senior, so my senior year, our senior year, mm-hmm. um, I, like, fractured my ankle playing basketball. And the this winter before, I had rotator cuff surgery. And, like, I wore a boot for, like, a week that I took it off because it was just cumbersome. <laughs> and I barely ever did physical therapy for my shoulder. And, like, now I'm, like, man, like, the, my durability is tight. Like, uh, like I get pedicures. I'm not ashamed to say I love it. And, like, oh, I, I have, like, do. like my, like, ankles, like, always swollen and stuff like that. And my, the woman's always, like, oh, what's wrong with and you? And you can tell like, when oh, it's going to rain. Like, yeah, that's really, oh, I'm, like, I'm not helping the age conversation at the beginning. You know, got them old bones. And it's just one of those things where, like, I put off the self-care because mm. it's like, oh, my body will recover. Like, I'll be fine. And just, like, putting those things in the rear view. 
and like now I can feel the consequences of it. Wow. And I would tell my younger self like, do those small things mm-hmm. that you don't think are gonna matter mm-hmm. to take care of yourself because like, your body needs it. Like, your body needs that time to recover. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, like looking back on, it, I was always just like doing what my friends are doing or like playing basketball, oh, and going running good, around, man. and I was never taking the time. Like you know what, you can't handle this. And like when you're young, you never want to tell yourself that you can't do stuff like that. For sure. You're always like, oh. You're invincible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah, nice. I like that one. What you got? Ooh, hygiene. So this one is challenging because I've always been kind of a uh, little pretty boy. Like, mm-hmm. I would, like, I would put on cologne just to go to the corner store. Um, <laughs> a brush was always in my bag. You know, that's always <laughs> me. But I think, if anything, I would probably go back to like that 14, maybe 14. Yes, that's when kids are stinking anyway. That's when kids are stinking, right? Body (laughs) chemistry is changing. I was just having this conversation with my little cousin, Mm -hmm. you know, 14 now, your body's going to change. So just staying away from like crappy deodorants, getting out of that Mm -hmm. sort of gendered um, ideology about, you know, what hygiene means, Mm -hmm. not being afraid to... You know, do the pedicures yeah. as a teenager, changing my deodorants to things that are less harsh because flowers, it's marketed to us. Right. Yeah. Where the sense of lotion, right? Yeah. Um, taking care of my skin a little bit better. So definitely getting more into, you know, that maintenance a little bit early yeah. on. That's cool. so true. I think yeah. about so many times when people would be like, you ain't got to do that because you're young. Right. But it's like there was never a practice right. yeah. that I had to do it. Right. And then it's all of a sudden it's like, you get no, you better put right. something on it. Like, <laughs> And I think about, like, I had, like, eczema and stuff as a teenager, so, you know, we're putting on lotion, like, that crap is bad for you, it has alcohol, on it dries out your skin, like, we're black, you you know, and it absorbs in our skin a little different, so that was kind of really the conversation I was having with my cousin, it's just like, you know, your skin's gonna change, Mm -hmm. you're black, I need you to remember that, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to do different things that you may not, that your, your white friends are doing, you can't do, Mm -hmm. um, so that was, I think, really critical, nobody kind of walk me through that that process okay. yeah okay yeah yeah Try anybody else want to add anything else on mm-hmm. hygiene before we move to another one i don't know i mean i think that age is critical for a lot of people like around the adolescence when you're going growing into puberty you're trying to understand what your body is doing mm-hmm. the way hormones are being burst in your body you know i want to sound like you know, about <laughs> big mouth now oh, <laughs> Discovery Channel, but um, yeah, like it's a lot going on. Um, especially I'll talk about women in hygiene. Like there are some women to this day who are like in their thirties, forties, and fifties who are still not really good with their hygiene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, who are older, and you, the, the women's bathroom sometimes is a tragedy. Like, <laughs> and I don't even want to go into detail, especially with y'all men being here. Y'all might feel a little uncomfortable. Not at all. Okay, yeah. good. Well. Let me no. I'm just saying, but um, you know, just being very aware of the way you smell, being very aware of the the cleanliness that you have, even yeah. in high school. Oh my gosh, there no, was a don't don't name I'm names. Not, I'm not. I'm not gonna name yo, names. I was okay. thinking, yo, we here. Name me here. Okay. Do it. Do it. Do it. Okay. Because bring for, back the hospital. Be, yeah. Because for people who went to city around the time that we you went to city, city class you, you eight, know, nine. <laughs> you know, but there was a young child in particular who was not very good with their hygiene, and yeah. it was always an issue because we would be in class and it just radiate, and mm. it would radiate in the whole room, and it's mm. like, 
do you say something like who has the authority to say something to this yeah, person about definitely. their hygiene you know like do we go to teachers you know are we the authorities on that because we're peers like yeah. but you know that stuff is definitely taught from home so Sean I appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that you are giving the, you dropping them gems to yeah. you know <laughs> your cousin because it's important to understand like even with my nephews like they're growing into puberty and my oldest right. nephew is just like he forgets to put on deodorant sometimes. I'm not trying to put him out there like that, but he's a kid. Like mm-hmm. he he yeah. does athletics, right. so he needs it sooner than other children mm-hmm. because he's running around all the time. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. in football. He's in basketball, and so yeah. sometimes you have to um, do things differently mm-hmm. when you notice different things about your child yeah, or who you know you're yeah. around. So. Buy socks more often. Change mm-hmm. the underwear more often. <laughs> you know they're sweating more. They're changing. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not washing the hair. They're washing the hair. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cleaning behind Flossing. the ears. <laughs> <laughs> Mouth like, walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, hygiene is just so tedious mm-hmm. because it's like, like I said, you have skincare routines and you got this. Like it just, like I said, and the things like that. Like everybody wants to buy some new shoes, but if you're like, oh, I'm about to go buy some new socks or buy new underwear, like mm-hmm. that's not exciting because like they're considered like small and insignificant. Um, and I think that like, so there's a saying, Jim Rohn had this saying, everything affects everything. And it's like, if you like the small things, those are important. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so it's like, Sean. if you're lacking in one area Stop. of your hygiene, <laughs> we gotta come back like, to this. Keep going through things. It's like, no, no. It's like, if you're lacking in one area of your hygiene, like you don't know, like your attention to detail could permeate the lack of attention to detail could permeate to other areas of your life. Mm-hmm. So like start small and focus on those small things. Like, you know what? Hey, do I smell good? Yeah. Do, I, do I look presentable? This and that. Yes. And Check your like, own breath. So yeah. I got to tell you, do you need a Tic Tac? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I'm one of those people that like, I will shower three times a day if I get just the thought that I smell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot, I look, I walk around with a bag full of whatever, moisturizers, <laughs> The brush, yeah. the colognes, the deodorant, like yeah. it's there and because it's just so critical. You mentioning Absolutely. eczema, like I know a yeah, lot of people yeah. who have eczema, you know, you can't really use hot showers mm-hmm. all the time, especially mm-hmm. in the winter time, dry mm-hmm. skin out. Mm-hmm. But hit them good parts right. if you need to, right. okay? Yeah. And moisturize. And moisturize. <laughs> you know? I wish that nobody had everybody kept telling me at a young age that like you know your grandfather is bald your dad is bald and it was just like it's just gonna happen and then I finally got to an age where it's like well if it's gonna happen I'm gonna try to hold on to my hair as long as I can (laughs) and so I had to really go through this journey and discovery on my own like what works for my hair Mm -hmm. what shampoos what conditioners like what should I be doing to my hair instead of I would only get my hair washed when I was going to the barber shop, yeah, and mm-hmm. I would get them as like I need to do it more frequently, That's right? right. Yeah. I'm trying to get there is a lot that was right like hand. I had to figure out on my own because yeah. we we're told as men is like you're not supposed to be thinking yeah. about those things, yeah. you know? Just slap on your deodorant, take a shower, and just go ahead and go out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, yeah. I, well, it's funny because like I think a lot of the a lot of the things that are out there in the design guys, guys are so contrary to what men have done historically from the standpoint. If you look at like famous men were very meticulous about their appearance. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, successful men throughout history have been very meticulous about their appearance. But we have this idea that, like, it's easy. And I think a lot we get that from movies where, you like, people wake up and they're mm-hmm. already, like, proper. <laughs> and it's like, no, like, people, like, you, to maintain your appearance and, like, to keep to be clean and stuff like that, to be healthy, takes effort. Yeah. And yeah. there's no shame sure. in... Tell it and be like, oh, well, after, when I wake up, it takes me an hour to get ready because I do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no shame in that. Like, if anything, that shows that you care more. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. people think that it's like, no, I just got to get up, five-minute shower, and be out. 
sweatpants. Like, no, no, no. If you want to look nice and, like, your skin looks good and you're mm-hmm. fresh and you smell good, like, that's a good thing. You shouldn't, like, make people feel bad because they tried hard. Yeah. You, you will I mean? wait until I am done. This <laughs> is a process. I'm just saying, like, those are, those are huge things to me. Oh, no, no, no I agree. Yeah. Like, you know, socks absorb sweat. Underwear yeah. absorb sweat. And so, like, those are things you should be changing out consistently um like i just think i don't know and again i've always been i don't know where i got it from but i've always sort of tried to be very hyper aware of my hygiene Mm -hmm. and and what i was doing but yeah i'm always replacing socks underwear like that's a that's a monthly oh yeah i've made it a point like now it's like i'm only wear i only wear luxury i don't wear those cheap Walmart, not no, no, no Walmart <laughs> socks, but like, like, I don't care the brand, but like they gotta be fresh. Yeah, yeah. yeah they gotta be fresh. I like that because I know I do know a lot of men who are like, of I got that. they wear, <laughs> they wear their drawers to like. Holes are in them. Oh yeah, we're just we're just saying the holy drawers. The holy draws. The average man, man keeps their underwear for like it was like some years. Like, I was like, what? I do have to say, though, that they're expensive. I just had this conversation with my stepfather over Christmas. Expensive. They are, like, kind of pricey. Yeah. And they're also, it depends on your personality. They're just, like, sometimes not exciting. It's just, like, it's another pack of draws to some yeah. people. Yeah. And some people are like, okay, I want different colors or I want a different style. Mm-hmm. But to a lot of people, it's just, like, here's something that I just, like, have to wear in a thing. Why is it yeah. so expensive? And even women with bras and underwear, too, like, sometimes we can get a little crazy because, like you said, the stuff, is it can get expensive. Mm-hmm. But look, look, girl, if the wire coming out your bra and the shit is sagging down the south, Okay, South Florida. <laughs> you going to Cuba with your titties? Like, please, like, girl, lift them up a little bit. Go get your new bra. Okay, you deserve, honey. You, you deserve. deserve. <laughs> okay, I drew out, um, and I'm rolling my eyes. If you can tell, laugh. I got saving instead of money. Oh wow. <laughs> No, I don't like talking about that. That's the big one. Oh, but man. I know you had a good story. So I would go back to. Um, Younger self that was 18. So when I was 18, I actually, all my focus was on savings, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I saved $7,000 and bought my first car cash, right? Okay. Nice. And Anthony. so, so proud of myself. One of the proudest moments like ever in life for me. And I've always held on to it. So important to save, so important to save and mm-hmm. never took that, um, Never broaden that to no. like learning mm-hmm. about other finances. Yeah. Um, at the same time that I was saving, my mom was also um, finally buying like our first house, and so mm-hmm. I was learning about credit through like her experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think at that age was probably like the best age for me to continue learning and keep like educating myself. And I stopped. You did. Yeah. So my advice to younger self would be like to continue doing it because now I'm petrified yeah. because I have things <laughs> that like. It's not a complete mess, but there yeah. are things that are messes like, ah, oh, I don't want to look at now. Yeah. yeah. I wish I would have kept myself encouraged and educated. Yeah. Okay. There's a real shame around money, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. We don't talk about it enough. Yeah, we've been having, yeah. me and Anthony, we've been having that discussion. Because we'll, we'll be getting into that probably another episode, but um, that's definitely important. Especially around 18, that's when you're legally able to do a lot of things. Mm. So you're making a lot of different decisions. You might be increasing your hours at work, you know, mm. like going in into spaces where you're working full-time or you're working more often or earning more money, and you don't know what to do with that. Um, we posted about 21 Savage bank account program, mm-hmm. his campaign, and a lot of guys 
that he knew or at risk youth that, you know, he knew, he said they didn't have bank accounts, stuff like that. So it is important to understand and know. It's here. Yeah, <laughs> it's I know. Here. It's around. It's, it's around. Like a lot of people, people don't, don't. <laughs> right. Can't get a list. Yeah. Okay. Like a lot of people don't know about um, money mm-hmm. or savings and how, you know, interest accrues and like mm-hmm. compounding interest and things like that. And so 18 is a good it's a good age, but I recommend it starting a little earlier. Yeah, definitely. For sure. You know, especially like when I was growing up, I was working with YouthWorks, which is a campaign, which is a program in Baltimore that um, gets children, or not children, but like teenagers into the workspace, the workspace sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always working with my aunt at a recreation center and she would, um, like our first paychecks, she would, take us like if we wanted to if we didn't have anyone around us to help us with understanding and knowing how to do banking and stuff like that she would take us to go get our bank our checks cashed and like tell us like you put this up you put this up and then if you want to spend this and go shopping and buy your air forces and shit like that or whatever mm-hmm. tennis like then you do that but make sure this is good make sure this is good because some of some of them kids like i know i started youth works when i was like 14 or 15 and that was around the time that you could start youth works. And some of those kids, like, they were using that money to take care of their families, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's important for us to understand, like, savings and money at a very early age. Like, shit, even probably, like, a kid. Like, I'm teaching my nephews now. They're, they're 10 and 12. Like, how to hold on to that money or ways to grow it. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think that we, we look at money as a tangible thing, not really realizing it's it's a means to an end just like we're talking about with everything and like i think you need a plan like a lot of people save just to save or they spend haphazardly and there's no thought process into like okay like saving isn't always a good thing like well you should save your money yeah. but like if you're just saving money to save money it's like well could your money be better suited in an index fund or should you could like could you buy something that would help make your life better yeah. um or should you be focusing on, you know, increasing your income? Right. And I think we're just, like, doing things haphazardly. And I think that, like, people, like, when you don't have a bank account, like, that mentality of, like, you're not looking towards the future. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not thinking, like, okay, I'm doing this. In 10 years, I want to be here. In 20 years, I want to be mm-hmm. here financially. And I think, like, going back, like, especially working in a restaurant industry, like, the cash, it's all cash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's so difficult for people to budget because... Yeah. You're just always getting. There's no like, oh, I'll have a thousand dollars on Friday. Yeah, it's like, like it it's like there's just money in my pocket. And I'm gonna just go out and spend it. And then yeah. I, what, you look up at the end of the month, you're like, oh wow, like what happened to all this? Like why don't I have my rent? And over the last few years, I've really tried to make it a point to like sit down with my son mm-hmm. and like so I take out my quarters and I have like a I have a Vanguard index fund that mm-hmm. I bought with quarters for him. Mm-hmm. And so like uh, I'm really showing him like, hey, like. Things cost a lot of money. I take them to the store. And I'm like, hey, this is how much you have in your account. Mm-hmm. Like, these are things I'm going to allow you to purchase with this amount of money. Like, mm-hmm. how many things can you get with $20? Or how many things can you get with $50? Or like, if I give you $100 for the month and you spend $20 now, that means next week you're not going to have as much money. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? so, and that's a good point. I would probably argue it when you become a young adult, it's probably the hardest because you have you don't have, like, a salary job where you know that you're going to make a set amount and yeah. you have these, like, bills and stuff and it's like, I don't know yeah. when I'm going to spend and so, mm-hmm. like, this month, okay, my like, bill on time, this month it's yeah. late mm-hmm. and it fluctuates so much. Yeah. Um, I didn't think about that part. Yeah. But yeah. I think the whole Dave Ramsey idea of giving every dollar a name mm-hmm. gives you so much better context to money 
to where you're like, okay, this is how much money I make. What is my ultimate goal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, like, if, like for example, like, let's say you really want to go on vacation. It's like, okay, that's a, that's a fine goal to have. Like, you don't have to make yourself feel guilty because you want to spend money. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how can you work that into, like, you have to pay your bills, you mm-hmm. have these responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that, like, that's a really important conversation to have. And a lot of people, we struggle with it, like you were saying, because... Like we just, I just feel like we always feel bad about money. Like yeah. you're saving, you're saving money, you feel bad because like you're not having enough fun. If you're spending too much money, you feel bad because you're not having like you're, you don't have any money. If yeah. you're not making enough money, you feel bad. If you're making too much money, you feel guilty. Yeah. Like it's just tough. It's complicated. My general yeah. rule is like treat yourself and then take care of everything else afterwards. Like mm. that's a part of self care. Mm. You know, make sure things aren't screwed up. Treat your, pay yourself first, and then start paying. That's a Robert Keys song. You pay yourself first. Yeah. I got peer pressure. Oh. Yeah. So, huh? This is interesting because I don't think I've. I'm like trying to think of a situation if I've ever had to face peer pressure, and I don't think I ever have. Like. Oh, you're the pressure. no it's just because like growing up I was in my own little world like if you Mm -hmm. wasn't in my world then I was just like it's fine you know but I you know I have had instances where I've wanted to be liked or wanted to be um seen as cute or like Mm -hmm. popular and stuff like that where I've done things that were uncharacteristic of myself and I quickly would check myself and be like Mm -hmm. girl this ain't even you um, but, um, I'm trying to think like, well, a pivotal age when I was thinking about peer pressure and shit like that was around when I was starting high school, going to city and, um, I was going to a school, well, city is a magnet school. So you get people from all, all walks of life around the city. And so you're kind of looking at what everybody else has and what they come from. And you're thinking like, damn, I don't have that. Or like, I don't live like this. And, you know, like I would like to have that type of lifestyle or, you know, yeah. whatever is lacking in my home. Like that's something yeah. that I might want to emulate. And so like, I'm just thinking about starting a city. Like I really didn't get <laughs> like involved with all that. I was very much like in my world, like I said before, but I have, I've had instances or I've had friends around me who um, they were involved in things that they wanted to, they catered to peer pressure, like in terms of having sex or mm-hmm. in terms of like buying certain clothes and like certain brands and shit like yeah. that. Um, or just like wanting to be the big topic or the big name around mm-hmm. school. Yeah. And then you do things that you're, it's not something that you're used to doing. Yeah. So that that would probably be around the age, just like the whole high school age. Like, yeah. you know, even when we were having our reunion last year, just thinking like some people didn't want to go back to high school because like some, like they have made a completely different change from who they were in high school because everybody wasn't their authentic selves then. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. Do y'all have any pivotal ages for peer pressure? I remember my mom told me at a certain age, she was like, you are, which was so accurate and on point. She's like, you're not, she's like, I was similar to you in the way that you're not going to have like 50 friends. You're going to have like a few like really good friends. You appreciate those friends and don't feel like you have to like fit in and please everybody. And I think that was advice that it was like, oh, you're my mom. That's why you're saying it. I wish I would have appreciated that more because it was very easy for me to shut down like I got pressure to smoke weed a whole lot. It was mm-hmm. easy for me to do that. It was easy for me to say, like, 
to say no to it, easy for me to say no to, about sex and stuff. But it was like this awkwardness where it felt like, I'm not sure quite where I fit at. And I have some friends and it's like, I can hang out with, you know, the athletes, with the clowns, with the with the nerds. Mm-hmm. And I had this thing where it's like, I'm just not quite sure. And I think if I would have heard that better or heard it by, by more people, that would have been helpful for me. Because I often was like, where do I belong? It was mm-hmm. like this sense of like, where do I belong? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And looking back, it was like, nah, you was right where you were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just had to be like comfortable with being where I was. That, yeah. 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 I was an awkward and precocious child. Like, I hated teenagers in high school as a teenager. I thought teenage <laughs> boys were like, the you are self-hating. <laughs> oh, I cannot stand teenage boys. I thought they were so stupid. So I typically stayed away out of a lot of this stuff. And even though like, we grew up in poverty. I still had access to like the video games and all that. So everybody would come to my house. So I didn't like my friends protected me because they realized I was the smart one out of the group. Yeah. <laughs> and so even though they were doing the dumb shit, mm-hmm. they made sure like I wasn't necessarily directly involved in the dumb shit. Yeah. Because they were like, if anybody's gonna get out, you know, it'll be you. Mm-hmm. And plus you got the video game. So like, you know <laughs> you, <laughs> you get right, you the plug, you get in trouble with punishment, you know, we can't come and play the video games. So I was really um sort of keen on like staying away from the peer pressure i knew when they were doing dumb shit Mm -hmm. um and i think if i got involved in stuff it was very it was a very conscious decision on my part Mm -hmm. um and trust me i have done my share of dumb things but i don't know i never really succumbed to to peer pressure like that everybody was kind of like the you're the snob you think you're better than you were so like, proud of yeah them. I was just like y'all are so stupid <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not I'm not doing that you're an idiot <laughs> hmm uh, I mean I think peer pressure is so subtle that it's mm-hmm. hard to identify mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because like we're always being pressured like how we're talking about like people feel uncomfortable talking about money like that yeah, in and of itself yeah, is yeah, peer yeah. pressure yeah. like anytime you feel discomfort and I think a lot of times it's so implicit that we just, uh, like, we don't even notice it. Mm-hmm. But we're thinking, like, oh, okay, if you were going to make a joke, but you didn't make a joke. Mm-hmm. Like, because you think people won't think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Or, some, like, a lot mm-hmm. of things, like, you were going to wear this outfit, yeah. but you think yeah. people won't mm-hmm. like it. And so, like, it's hard to say. I think, um, and I know friendships is one of the other topics. I think what I would say peer pressure contributed to is, like, as a person who doesn't drink, smoke, and do a lot of that stuff, like, it was difficult for me in, in, at City, especially, to, like, like, I thought, like, me personally, I'm very friendly. I'm very jovial. I'm, like, I'm very amicable. I'm, like, let's just be friends. Like, we can hang out. And, like, we can. But I think you realize that a lot of people don't care about you. Not in a way that's, like, malicious, but just in a way that people are concerned about themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times you feel like, oh, if I do something differently or if mm-hmm. I, like, you know, like, you don't make a statement that you would have otherwise. Like, some people you shouldn't be friends with. Like, you don't have to hate them, but, like, you don't have anything in common. And, like, mm-hmm. they might do some things that, like, you don't really like. And it might make you a little uncomfortable. Or they might have ideas that that are negative yeah. and you should stay away from them. But you're like, don't want to ruffle the, you know, you don't want to rock the boat or ruffle any feathers, but you try to hold on to it just for the sake of like quote unquote friendship. Mm-hmm. And then you realize like in high school, like I was cool with like everybody, but then I graduate. I'm like, Oh wait, we weren't really friends. Mm-hmm. We just were in the same space. Yeah. And there's a, uh, just, just a lot of subtle things that I think a lot of subtle, you know, corrections I would have made to my trajectory. If I would have been more cognizant of the idea that like, this pressure that I feel, like, this, su- this subtle pressure I feel to, like, be around people and be friends with them is, you know, unimportant. I should just, you know, do me. I would say, look, uh, my... It's interesting because I think, like, 
the biggest peer pressure I had came from family, if anything. Mm-hmm. Like family was my were my biggest bullies and my yeah. first bullies. Mm-hmm. You know? okay. So I think if anything, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's also something, you know, we don't talk about a lot. No, so, you're yeah. right. Yeah, so true. Was that from a certain age or I think just in general. You know, you yeah. get and again, being sort of the black sheep, like I was always off to my own, so you get family that wants you to sort of navigate the way they want you to mm-hmm. navigate mm-hmm. and you're just like I'm not I don't have any interest in yeah. that um, so really trying to define that independence early on um, was really challenging I think for me but once they realized alright he kind of go to his own beat over there we'll leave him be but yeah my, my peer pressure and bullies That's that was definitely episode. yeah I was going to say that is a, <laughs> that is a I mean, I think it's it's just a larger conversation about like interpersonal relationships and like, like just like even the term bully mm-hmm. is like a complex term because a lot of times like especially kids like kids will like point something out that's weird about another kid, but like were they trying to bully that kid or was it just so foreign to them that they didn't understand? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think a lot of times like people can only see the world through their own lens, mm-hmm. and so you have someone who will question something you're doing or try to encourage you to do something else. And, like, you're looking at it as, like, an attack, but they're just like, oh, well, why would you act this way? Or why don't you do this instead? And there's, that happens so often that it's, like, hard to discern between, like, you know, who's, like, actively coming at you or, like, who's trying to mislead you or steer you away or who's just confused or, like, doesn't understand. You know what I mean? Especially if you're different, mm-hmm. people are, like, alarmed by that. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's so hard for a lot of people. To, like, when I, like, I don't drink. And I don't think people really pressure me to drink. Mm-hmm. But people would ask me so much about it. Like, Yo, leave it alone. <laughs> you don't yeah, drink? Do. Why don't you drink? Like, you'd be like, oh, yeah. you don't want to drink? Like, yeah. you never want to be high? Like, and I'm just like, I don't. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't think they're actively, like, trying to, like, like, it's not some, like, de- you know, Denzel, right. like, you better smoke this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's but foreign to them. Like, yeah, that's yeah just it so, is. it's just so foreign. They're just yeah. like, I don't understand this. Like, what's going on? And I'm just like. Like it, it's a subtle pressure, you know what I mean? It's not they're not actively trying to like ruin my life or mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> Let's try to I wanna try to get two, but at least okay. one more. Uh, okay. Ooh, parents. Hey, look. <laughs> <laughs> Moving away from parents and relationships with parents evolving. Hmm. Alright, so the uh, this would be a little bit family and parents. Okay. Um when we graduated, I had family fly in from California. And I, like, completely, like, disregarded them. Like, not in a way that was malicious, yeah. but just in a way that was, like, me and Charles and, like, Baba hung out and stuff yeah. like that. And I was just, like, they were here. And I, was, like, like, and I was, like, and looking back on it, and this is something that, like, has changed. Like, as my, like, my siblings lived far. My brother lived in Kuwait for a while. My other villagers lived in Saudi. Mm-hmm. Um, my siblings lived in Texas. Colorado. We're everywhere. And looking back on it, I wish I would have developed a more... Like, I actively developed a stronger relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And, like, going towards, like, parents. I remember when I moved out. I was going to school in Massachusetts, and I just couldn't do it. I was, like, it just was too much of a culture shock for me. I came back, mm-hmm. and my dad was always, like, what are you doing with your life, this and that? And I was, like, I got to get out of here. So I moved out. And I kind of, like, and it took, it was, like, a year or two. Like, I never, like, ignored my family. But it was, like, a, like a, for the next, like, year or so, I was kind of just so distant from them. Yeah. And now having a son... And, like, obviously, like, having an ex-wife, like, my son was, like, half and half. Like, I wish I would have appreciated more what my parents did for me and been more cognizant of, like, maintaining a stronger bond with them and not being like, oh, my mother called me. I'll call her back in a couple of days. Or, like, oh, I haven't seen my dad in a week. Like, Mm -hmm. it's all good. Like, I I just kind of moved out and left. 
And it kind of like, I didn't take into consideration and respect the fact that like, you know what? When I had nothing, like they were there for me and like they gave me all these opportunities and I kind of just like piggybacked off of that and just leapfrog and now I'm out. And I wish like, I appreciate the fact that I moved out because it gave me a better context of like what life is like, like paying rent and like having those type of responsibilities. But I didn't appreciate how much they did for me and I wish that I would have like, and I, and I still have opportunities, like not, mm-hmm. they're, not they're not gone, but it just gave me a different perspective. And now looking back on it, I would have told myself like when I moved out at 19, like, hey, like don't forget your family. Mm-hmm. Like make sure you, you know, keep those ties. Mm-hmm. So like that would be my advice to my younger self. Mm-hmm. I could not wait to get out of my mother's house. <laughs> <laughs> could not wait. Um, I'm like, she's in timeout right now. Like, she's yeah, definitely in, like, an Oprah timeout. You know, if you come back in six months, six years, okay, cool. You got to get your shit together first because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm 31. I'm on the whole so she's level in detention. right now. She's in detention. And my dad was never really, um, he was never really that active in my life. Like, I've always had access to him. I could always call him, knew where he lived. So mm. he wasn't, you know, yeah. um, sort of in the distance. But, like, he wasn't present. And, like, just with my mom, living with her was just always toxic. Like, we were always fighting, mm-hmm. um, always arguing about something. I don't know. My mom, I felt like, has always had this desire to compete with me for whatever reason. And That's I true. realized that, you know, my parents had me really young. They were, like, 19, 20 when they had me. And so, me growing up and doing some of the things that they may not have ac- access to, you know, gaining access to college and you know, just a different set of experiences and knowledge or whatever and sort of feeling that resentment from it yeah. um, that I'm now navigating those relationships. So mom's in the timeout, dad, you know, talk to him when I talk to him. Mm-hmm. But I could not wait to be out on my own. Um, but I spent most of the time living with my grandparents and grandmother was probably like that solid foundation as it is in most black families. Yeah. Um, and so I was just able to, you know, navigate life, you know, living with her, mm-hmm. really cool, chill person, 96 now, still talk to her right, every so week. Graham is chilling, you know. She gets the gold stuff. Stop, <laughs> Stop the mail from coming to the house. Like she's completely checked out, leave me alone. So yeah, it's just always, but parents have always been interesting for me to navigate. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know yeah. why. So, like, and now in my 30s, I'm trying to figure out, y'all need some therapy. <laughs> like, y'all, y'all got to go talk to somebody so before, real. you know, we have this relationship. Because I can't do it. I got yeah. this shit I'm yeah. trying to accomplish. And I can't deal with the toxicity of whatever it is you're battling with in my life. Yeah. You know, I can't do it. So. Yeah, for me, I probably would have told myself that there's not a... I think I operated in a way of thinking... When I turn 18, by the time whatever our relationship is with my mom and my dad, that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And then I realized as a young adult that it's, you're constantly working at it just like any other mm-hmm. relationship and it's constantly yeah. always changing. And um, I've been really in, like proud of myself in the honest conversations I've been able to have with my parents, the way that I've been like, this is how I want to communicate and have mm-hmm. hard conversations with mm-hmm. you all because... I didn't like the way that it was growing up. A lot of times it would be like no conversation or it would be like a lot of yelling. It's like, this is not okay with me. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing, I was like, oh, there's other ways we can communicate. And so I would tell yeah. my younger self to, one, be patient with myself. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I would say like begin to try to practice how you want to communicate. That was hard for me. I don't think that I knew that then or I don't think I would have been able to tap into that. But mm-hmm. to be like that... 
by the time you hit 18, this is not the end and this is not how it's always going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I'll start off at age 16. So, um, over the summer, I told you I was working YouthWorks. So, I was working a YouthWorks program and I knew, like, from, I don't know, when I was a really young kid, like, I wanted to be, like, a nurse or, like, a pediatrician or something because my father was... Um, he held that type of position in the National Guard. And so, I don't know. I Like, he would have, like, medical equipment that I would always just go and play with and, like, yeah. stethoscopes and shit. So, when I was 16, I got this letter to be a part of this program, the National Youth Leadership Conference. Um, I went to Villanova for, like, a week, and my parents drove me up to um, Villanova. So, it's in Philly. And then they stayed in Philly, um, so I was basically on a college campus acting like I was going to college courses, like doing medical training and stuff mm-hmm. like that, just to see if I wanted to do that. Cause I thought it would be something cool to put on college, you know, <laughs> resume or write about it in an yeah. essay and stuff like that. Cause I really thought I was going to be a doctor y'all. But, um, so I get there and like, this is my first time ever being on my own and not being around any of my family or friends, like being in the space. You know, and I'm just like, okay, I'm like not bad navigating this. And then like, I'm calling them like every morning, you know, Mm. just being like, okay, I'm keeping on top of things. You know, I want to make sure they're good. I'm good, you know, and I'm not necessarily homesick, but I'm just like, I want, you know, I want to hear my parents' voice, you know, and make sure they're enjoying themselves. So fast forward two years later when I'm going to college and, um, I'm going, I went to University of Maryland, so it wasn't very far from Baltimore. But I would go back and forth and come home. And then around a certain amount of, around a certain age, I was living in College Park or living in Hyattsville. And, um, you know, I was being more independent and taking care of things on my own. But um, every once in a while, like, you know, you're a college student, so you're still like, in a childish state, you don't realize all the responsibilities you have as an adult because you're not necessarily given those mm, respons- yeah. responsibilities. Like, some of those things are taken care of just because you're in college, mm-hmm. you know? You're not out there on your own. But I fast forward to when I moved back to Baltimore, and I'm like, I had that taste of living on my own, and I moved back in with my parents after college, and me and my dad are bumping heads, okay? Because... I don't I don't think that he understood that not only is she my child but she's a woman. Yeah. She's grown. That part. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> and I'm talking I'm talking yes. to parents. I'm talking to parents now and I'm yes. like understanding that if they don't have that conver- if we don't have that conversation or they don't understand that like not I'm not just your child, but I'm not a child. Like I know how to do things and take care of things and I don't need you to, you know, be overbearing and take that responsibility and so I'm just like when I came back home and me and my father bumped heads from there we didn't bump heads for a very long time but it was enough for me to be like look you know I've established myself as a woman okay understand and know me as a woman (laughs) you know like I I do certain things and I have certain habits that I you know made when I was away from you guys and you have to understand and know that like I'm not disrespecting your household at all and please don't take it as disrespect but I have my own opinions Mm -hmm. and I have my own values Mm -hmm. and you guys taught me well enough so like 
let me go on certain things. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So my father actually passed away in 2017. And up until, like, from the time that we did bump heads when I moved back home until when he passed away, we had started working on a relationship as being not just father and daughter, but more as friends and peers mm-hmm. because he was the type of man who held so strongly onto the patriarchy and being the head of the household and um, just the caregiver of the family, you know? And so he didn't want to discuss certain things with his children. Mm-hmm. Like, I have an older brother, and he would discuss certain things with my brother as a man, but when it came to me, I'm just like his big, you know, one of his mm-hmm. daughters, you know what I'm saying? He like, I can't do that with my daughter, and we had a, a understanding towards the end, you know, before he passed away, that like, you know, you can tell me stuff, like, I'm good to handle it. Matter of fact, I might know some shit you don't know. Right. You know? Right. And he started to understand that towards, you know, that time, but... The relationship with parents, it's ever, it can be ever-changing, you know, and it it develops from teacher, you know, as the child mm-hmm. to you guys are, like, having the same responsibilities now, mm-hmm. you know, like, you guys are facing the same things, like, I'm trying to think about how to buy a house, too, now, okay. you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, what happened when you did this? Like, I'm asking my mother questions now, you know, thinking about, like, you know, when you bought this house, like, what was the process like? Like, what made you decide to move and things like that? You know, so now we're having more conversations that are not just child and parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're more of peer-to-peer. Mm-hmm. And the vice that I've been trying to seek lately that I'm trying to, like, brace myself for is I've been seeing um, people that are, like, older than me that are bracing themselves for the shift of I'm child and I'm now taking care of my parent, mm-hmm. right? And, like, how much role to be, like, I'm taking care of you, I'm making these decisions, but you are still older than me, mm-hmm. and you still have ownership, but you still need help and support with that. How do you have patience? I'm just like, yo, I just feel like I got to a spot where we just, like, kind of comfortable, <laughs> and we settle. I'm nowhere near ready for that. I don't want that to come. Yeah. But that's, like, a whole nother bag of worms. Mm-hmm. It sure is. Yeah, that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one very last one. One last one. We'll make this one fast. Uh... Mental health. Ooh. Well, well, well. Um, so I'm definitely going to go back just to probably last year. Like, I think moving here was probably the roughest year I've had in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mental health really took a hit. Like, you know, came up here, moved for a job, got fired from the job, had, you know, in a space with no network, mm-hmm. trying to figure things out, recreating, yeah. starting my own business, mm-hmm. you know, trying to maintain bills. And so it's just like my mental health went to shit. Like, you know, lost weight, um, just trying to figure out how I was going to navigate everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I had to learn was one, getting past like that imposter syndrome, you know, when you lose your, your livelihood, you know, when you get fired from a place like that hits your, your ego for a minute to be like, am I good enough to do this work? Am I yeah. good enough to, to exist in this space? Um, so I went through a lot of like self doubt and I just had to surround myself with good people, good friends. Um, having a fish tank and just sort of creating a space mm-hmm. in my apartment was like really healing. Um, a literal fish tank. A literal okay. fish tank. <laughs> a literal <laughs> fish tank. A literal fish tank. Um, meditating more, 
um, getting back into like cooking and cooking for people. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was really critical to help me survive and sort of balance out um, that. But I'm definitely one of those people that for the longest time kind of put their self-care and their mental health on the back burner because mm -hmm. it's like I gotta do yeah. this I gotta do that I gotta mm -hmm. work mm -hmm. I gotta survive I gotta do now I'm quick to take that vacation the light bill can wait hey. the plane ticket <laughs> is booked you know <laughs> um, so yeah I don't know it's it really about like I said earlier like paying myself first making sure that I'm good before mm -hmm. I try and take care of other people because if my cup isn't full you know I can't give anybody else anything to drink so mm -hmm. So when you want to practice that mental health on cooking for others, you can invite no class. Like I got you. Yeah. I got you. I got you. I love This is the cook. second guest we had that came bragging about I their cooking. Felicia Lane, Amanda Sean. You cook shrimps. I love to cook. I love to cook shrimp, steaks, all. Lamb. We do it all. Uh, it's not uh, a podcast anymore. It's a cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, nobody talked to me about mental health, and I think that the advice that I would give to my younger self would um, to be to question stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff that is passed down to us generation by generation that we don't question, that no longer um, serves us in the way that it did serve mm -hmm. our, our grandparents and so on and so on. Um and, like, one example is a story that I do storytelling, and one of them that I talk about is um, my grandmother would always tell us you don't leave dishes in the sink at night. Mm. And you make sure that, like, all the dishes are gone. And the story behind that is because back in the day, you never knew when somebody was coming to your house. Like, doctors would come to your house if somebody got sick. If they saw that there were dishes in the sink, then they would assume that you're poor black, and that's why you all are sick, right? So that's why you don't move in the sink. And so there's things like this that... I carried on and be like, oh, I'm still doing this thing that's taking a toll on my mental health and this extra work for me that no longer is serving me, that served my ancestors but doesn't serve me. Mm -hmm. um, that was just constantly like, you're not supposed to question it and you're supposed to honor it at the same time. And the mm -hmm. same thing with like taking off from work. I can mm -hmm. remember mm -hmm. I started working at 15 and it would really be the first day of spring and everybody would call out. I would be at work. I'd be like, everybody must be really sick right. because you ain't supposed to call out unless it's serious. <laughs> And so, like, I held on to that, and, like, the history of that is, like, it's hard enough being a black person getting a job. Yeah. If you get your foot in the door, you better show up, and you better work harder than everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. And so, even if you're sick, you don't feel like being there, you better be there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, nobody ever had these conversations with me that, like, these things that we hold so tight to us are taking a toll on our mental health, and they're mm -hmm. not exactly serving mm -hmm. me anymore. Mm -hmm. So. So, two pivotal moments in my life. I, that's what I'll talk about. The first was when I did graduate from college and I had to move back home. Um, it was a very humbling experience for me because, you know, you grow up and you have this idea and you picture your life so differently. And then it just sometimes it doesn't go into it doesn't come to fruition. So you got to deal with like what decisions could you have made that would have made things differently. That's kind of what we're doing right now, too, and having this, this discussion, you know? But there were things that I expected when I graduated from college, like from undergraduate school. Like, I thought I was going to... I told you I, was, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I gave that up in college because I was like, I'm not going on that track. Y'all motherfuckers study too much. <laughs> and then I, I changed my major from biology to kinesiology. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to physical therapy school. I think I want to be a physical therapist. Like I worked in a physical therapy office when I was living down there by my school. And then I walked, like came back up to Baltimore and got, and had a job in physical therapy too. 
not as a therapist, but as like an assistant and, you know, I'm like on that track and I'm still like, I don't think I want to do this. So like I had a very interesting time graduating from school and like looking on social media and seeing that everybody's thriving and, you know, or what it seems like everybody's thriving and they live in their lives and I'm mm-hmm. sitting up here trying to figure shit out. And we are still going through that, you know, even after all all those years, like, I'm still trying to figure out how exactly I'm navigating for the rest of my life, you know, mm-hmm. if I do want to change up my trajectory and, like, go on a different path, you know. So, mental health, like, I was crushed coming back home and not knowing that, like, you don't have to make your decision final to death, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. you... If you have another day on this earth, you can choose a different trajectory. You know, you don't yeah. got to make the same decision every day because you did make this choice. And this choice was so important. Mm-hmm. And I paid all this money right. in student loans. Right. You know, like, yeah. you ain't got to choose that forever. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, I, I, when Sule was coming in, he was talking about, you know, changing up his career and things that are going on like that, you know. And like I said, we're of a certain age. That shit don't change. Like, if you want to change shit up, then change it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It don't stop. But yeah. the second point that was very pivotal to me was when my dad passed away. And I was very crushed because it was unexpected. And I went through a very hard time because that was the first... Like, my grandmother, who I was very close with, which was which is his mother, she passed away two years prior um, at the age of 97. And she was we were very close, but... I felt like I was more prepared for her death because she was older. And my grandmother, as long as I knew her when I was born, you know, when I was born, she was in her 70s. You know what I'm saying? So she never, ever um, told, like, there was never a day that I talked to her where she didn't say, if the, if the Lord lets me live, you know? Yeah. So I was very prepared for that. And I knew that my grandmother was going to be at peace when that happened you know it was sad Mm -hmm. but that was something I was able to get over but then when my dad passed it was unexpected and it threw my entire family for a loop because um because of it being so unexpected so we all had to deal with something that was very traumatic to us because a lot like we spent time in the hospital you know a lot of people don't know all the details about what happened unless you were there Mm -hmm. but some you know a part of that was a little traumatic for a lot of us and me and my family like me and my brother and my mother in particular my sister didn't seek counseling but we all went to grief counseling because we needed time and just to figure out how to keep going and to move on because especially for my mother like you know my mother had been with him for years like decades you know so this was who she thought Endgame was, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she wasn't expecting to have to not only bury him so soon, but to figure out, like, how am I going to love mm-hmm. for the rest of my life, you mm-hmm. know? So that was a very pivotal point in me, in my adulthood, because we all talk about... We, we definitely had this the conversation about parents earlier, but we don't talk about what happens when we're, if we lose them mm-hmm. earlier than what we expect, mm-hmm. you know, or even if the parent were to lose their child, like going through a traumatic loss that definitely messes with your mental health and your stability 
you know, some people, they bury it and they keep it held in and then it comes out of their body in different forms of like anger or abusing substances or trying to cope mm-hmm. with things differently. And fortunately, my family, we took a way, we took a route that was more productive in that we took time from work. I definitely, I think I took like a month or two off from work. Mm-hmm. And my brother did and so did my mother. And I think, I think my sister went back probably like um, a couple weeks later. But we all handled it very differently. And now, moving on from that, like, that's always going to be our story together. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, now, like, I don't have a problem talking about my father now because I was able to work through mm-hmm. things yeah. that happened, you know, surrounding his death and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have an issue with that. And it's not something that's going to break me down every time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm, what were the pivotal points? Um, so the first time I would say was when I, uh, when I first came back. So I, was, I went to school for a year in Massachusetts. And, man, the culture shock. I said it was like five black people. And, I mean, that wasn't necessarily like the worst part. But, like, everybody was, like, from the area and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it just wasn't a fit for me. So I came back, and my whole life I've been, like, the talented kid. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, never studied, and, like, sports were easy, and so it was always like, oh, yeah, I'll just ace school, and I'll go to, like, Ivy League school, I'll become a lawyer, do something like that, it'll be easy. <laughs> something like that. Um, <laughs> and it was one of those things that people like, oh, man, you're smart, and this and that, and you, why don't you do this, and why don't you do that? And coming back was the first, that was the first, like, legitimate failure. Mm-hmm. And not in a way that I, like, and I feel like it wasn't that grave of a failure, but mm-hmm. to me, it was huge. Because mm-hmm. it was like, oh, like... You couldn't suck it up and deal with it. Because I've always been that person. That's just like, you deal with the discomfort and you do it. Yeah. Um, Because, like, one of the things, like, we're privileged as people living in America. Like, even though, like, worst case scenario is, like, there's, like, I was reading this article talking about Yemen. And it was talking about how, like, there's parents who have to decide between, like, feeding their kids, like, certain kids, or, like, getting health care for their dying kids. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have to do this stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like... And so I've always been like, oh, just suck it up. Like, deal with your problems. And the fact that I couldn't, like, really, I really took a toll on me. And I kind of, like, sleepwalked for the next few years. Mm. Where I just was, like, avoiding the shame. Instead of just being like, okay, you failed. Get up and go try something else. Um, And the next part, the next thing, I think piggybacking off of that was when I got divorced. Like, like, the realization or, like, accepting the fact that, like, the relationship failed was like tough <clears throat> because it was because I've always been of the ilk and I, I'm a very laid back person so like I can always like adapt in terms of personal relationships and I've always heard okay what do you need like how can I provide for you mm-hmm. and just like I said just coming to the realization like oh, okay no this relationship is over with mm-hmm. and like I have we have a child and stuff like that and like and like I feel like there's a lot of social guilt to like mm-hmm. you're like like people like you're divorced for sure you're young like Divorcee. you're already divorced yeah, yeah. Um, and then, like, going back and having the conversation, like, people are like, yeah, that's why I never get married. And basically, like, kind of, like, trying to make mm. you feel bad. Like, why would you even get married? Everybody gets divorced. Like, it doesn't work and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and that was, like, difficult to deal with. Wow. And I think that, like, I think mental health, I prefer to use the term mental fitness. Because mm-hmm. I feel like when it comes to fitness, it's active. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, you know, you go to the gym, you eat, right? Like, you're, like, constantly thinking, what can I do to make it better? Yeah. But I feel like health is something that you just, like, you think it just comes. It mm-hmm. comes and goes. And I think, like... 
I would I would want to be and this is advice to my younger self but at, but to me now going forward is mm-hmm. like stop being such a spectator in the sense of like okay something didn't work out how what steps can you take to make things better mm-hmm. and I wish like I would have had people around me and I wish someone would have told your younger self like hey like don't beat yourself up so much because things didn't go the way you wanted just figure out how you can make the next move mm-hmm. and there's a I don't, I don't know if you guys ever read Tony Robbins but he's all about neuro-linguistic programming. Mm-hmm. So when he talks to people about people like being depressed or something like that, he's like, how are you depressed? Like, what type of behaviors do you exhibit in these negative emotional states? And like, what can you do physically to try to pull yourself out of it? Because it's easier to act your way into feeling than feel your way into acting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's easier to be proactive in terms of what you do, mm-hmm. even though it's rough. You know what I mean? When you first start working out, it's difficult to like do the most basic of exercises. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, okay, like I like to run. When I first started running like a mile and I'd be dying and then I'd run five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles and I'm like, feel great. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things like I feel like if you attack your, like I said, attack it because you look at it as like, it's almost like your, those negative emotions like your enemy. Like if you got to like fight them away yeah. and like, what can you do to actively combat all those negative things that hold you back as opposed to just sitting around and like waiting for the feeling to dissipate? Cause like, that's never going to happen. Like you're never just going to sit around and be sad about something and then just wake up and you're not sad about mm-hmm. it. It's like, okay, like, what can I do in my life to make myself happier? Whether it's mm-hmm. like, I'm in a job that I don't like. Okay, don't just hate your job all the time. Like, figure out how you can make the next move. Like, you're in a relationship you don't like. How can you either improve the relationship or find a better relationship? And I feel like those are the things that, like, going back, like, looking back, I would encourage myself to do. And even now, like, I constantly need to remind myself, like, hey, like, don't let those things fester. Like, once you see a mm-hmm. problem... Like there's a saying, there's two types of issues. It's either perception or procedure. And so like, if you have an issue, sit back and look at it. Like, okay, what can I do? Am I just looking at it from the wrong perspective? Should I step onto the other side of the, you know, the fence? Or do I need to take steps in my life to change that situation so I can be better going forward? So that's kind of like where I'd be at with that. Yeah. yeah. And even like giving yourself time to, I guess, grieve those losses, you yeah. know? Like, especially with you, you were married. Like, I'm sure there was a time where, you know, you had to grieve the loss of your relationship with your ex-wife. Yeah. And you had to figure out, like, how do I bounce back from that? Like, give yourself that time Mm -hmm. to just be like, yeah, I am sad about this. Like, but don't extend that time longer than what Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like grief needs to be, you need to, like, be actively grieving. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people, they try to feel nothing. When something negative happens, but then it's like you didn't fix the problem. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, if you're sad about something, like hey, I'm sad, like feel yeah. it, like don't just run away from acknowledge that emotion because it. it's just gonna extend into your future even further. Like acknowledge, yeah. like hey, like I'm messed up over this, and I think it took me like especially after the divorce, it took me like a good like six months, mm-hmm. like, a year to be like you know what, like this happened. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those things where I would just be like, like I just like kind of like a dream where I was like oh okay, and I just like try to think about other stuff or like distract myself. And it took me a while to realize, like, you know what? Like, I remember she used to wear this perfume, and, like, the, I'm not trying to sulk and be like, oh, like, but, like, for, like, just a story, like, she would wear this, she would wear the same perfume, and, like, when my son would, like, I would smell it on him, it would, like, mm-hmm. put me in a bad mood. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, this is, like, wow. that's crazy that I'm allowing this to affect me, but it's mm-hmm. because I, like, didn't feel all those emotions when I should have, mm-hmm. and now they're lingering, as opposed to just being like, hey, you're sad, this is why you're sad, okay, address all those things, and then be like, you know what? But... For all the negative things, there's equally all these things. Like, I have now I have an opportunity. Like, Gary Vee always talks about, like, he's like, if you bullshitted until you're 40 years old, <laughs> you still would have half of your life. Yeah, I like Gary Vee. <laughs> and I feel like we're always just like, it's like everything seems so, like, everything in the moment seems so important. But it's like, yeah. you know what? Like, 
five years from now, ten years from now, this is going to be so far in the rear view, I'm not even going to be thinking about it. So it's just like, you made a mistake, whatever it was, or like whatever negative happened in your life happened, and you have all this opportunity to change the story, Mm -hmm. you know, to rewrite the book of your life. So it's like, Mm -hmm. just take that advantage. Mm -hmm. This one wasn't quick at all, but... (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was cool. Like, it was cool. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of gems in it, though. For sure. All right. So... You wanna wrap it up? Yeah. Um wrapping up the topic for today. So um I encourage everybody else as as homework to answer the questions that we did, some of them. What age would you go back to and like what would you say for yourself on some of these topics? Um we have some more in here that we didn't get into. Maybe yeah. we can put it on like the snippet and tell you what the other topics are. Um so you can do that work with yourself or with a friend or something. So definitely do that. Anything else before we hop into our homework time? No, that's just, I just would say, like, people, like, don't look at, like, advice to your younger self, but also look at how you can take that advice and, like, apply it going forward. Mm. Like, don't just look at it and say, like, oh, I wish I would have done that mm-hmm. years ago. Because that's, like, just to be quick. Like, people say it about money when it talks about investing. Everybody's like, oh, if I would have bought, you know, this stock 10 yeah. years ago. It's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Now what are you going to do yeah, now? Yeah, it's not too late. To, like, apply that, you know, logic to your life going yeah, forward. not too late. Cool. Classmates, classmates, get out your pens and papers, get ready to take down your homework. So, homework time. Who wants to go first? Who wants to share that homework item first? I have two. Okay. So, there's this show on Netflix called On My Block. I don't know if anyone's seen it. I love the show. It's coming back out for its second season on March 29th, so I really want you guys to watch it. Um, it's It's about a group of teens... Um, in California, and they face different issues, um, including like gang violence and just shit that you ascribe to like Compton. Y'all be no, y'all be thinking yeah. y'all know Compton, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But it's so interesting because they have very different personalities, and the show's pretty cool to me. Okay, I like that show. Is it like and, a comedy or is it like a, it's a mix? It's a mix. Yeah, okay. it's a mix. yeah for sure. Yeah. Okay. And there's another show um, on BET called um finding justice yeah. it's produced by dwayne johnson mm-hmm. aka the rock and um i forgot the other producer's name i'm sorry lady but um <laughs> <laughs> really a I national know, I'm sorry, lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i can find it you know just to give her her, her little credit or whatever <laughs> dwayne johnson and danny garcia um it premieres well it is a six episode docuseries mm-hmm. that okay. premiered March 8th I think mm-hmm. that Sunday and it's going until like April 10th so every Sunday at 8pm Eastern Standard Time it comes on and they go to different cities I think like Tampa, they came to Baltimore um, St. Louis and they're talking about different injustices that African American communities face so I really like that show and I want you guys to watch it yeah I think St. Louis was like Bell Reform Baltimore was like delayed um mm-hmm. Chicago was I don't remember what Chicago's one I know one was voter suppression for Atlanta so yes. it's like good topics yeah yeah, yeah that's Very good. cool keeping up with that theme <laughs> I am on this path of highlighting challenges that racial sexual minorities millennials are experiencing in nonprofit workspaces mm-hmm. um so what I would encourage is for people to read um two reports from the building movement project they um, sort of, it's a social justice organization that helps to 
enhance the operationalization function of nonprofits for minorities, but two of the critical reports are working at the intersection LGBTQ nonprofit staff and the racial leadership gap, and then their race to lead report confronting the nonprofit racial leadership gap, which is sort of, um, it analyzes a lot of the challenges that we as minorities experience working in that particular sector. Mm-hmm. Um, leadership, you know, development of skills, uh, interaction with like our white counterparts and how they feel about their access to leadership, etc. Um, but yeah, those are two things that I would suggest folks check out and, and look at. Okay. okay. Yeah, some links for that. Um, I feel like mine's is completely off topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, so there's a podcast called Quick Brain um, mm-hmm. by Dr. Jim Quick. He's like a brain expert. And he talks about just how to optimize your productivity and how to, like, improve your brain function in terms of memory. Mm. Um, he had, like, a very traumatic brain injury when he was a kid. And so he struggled in school. And so he's all about helping you memorize, helping you read faster and stuff like Whoa. that to improve your performance. And he has a lot of great guests. Brendan Bouchard. Mm. Um, Dr. Sean Stevenson, like, a sleep expert and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But he just gives you a lot of ideas on how to improve your life. Um, and then I read an interesting article in the New York Times... Um, the Tragedy of Baltimore. I don't know if you guys have read it. No. I'm talking about like Baltimore in the post Freddie Gray mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Like yeah. it talks to like retired police officers. Like, it gives a very balanced perspective of I feel like of what Baltimore is facing going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was pretty fair. Yeah. I thought it was a really good, inter- a really interesting read. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's by Alec McGillis. Um, this is in the New York Times about a week or two ago. So, okay. Yeah. Um, mine is brace yourself because I'm gonna I'm gonna say right now I'm gonna give you a plug. I need one brace myself, but (laughs) do it at your own risk. So this morning I went to brunch in my neighborhood at Kafara's Kitchen. Be aware the food is really really good, but you can get the itis. You're gonna question if you want to go out the house for the rest of the day or you just want to keep taking a nap. Um. So they're only open on the weekend, and I think they're open from like nine until three. Okay. So I would say if you go, maybe go like around two o'clock, so you can eat your food and you just have <laughs> yeah, nothing else you're doing now. for the rest of the day. <laughs> the food is bomb. I had the French toast, um, some of the best French toast that I've ever had, and it seems like their um, menu seems to like rotate items out pretty often. Okay, um, and it's black owned. Um, and she makes everything from scratch. Everything from the syrup that's on the French toast oh. to like the yeah, to right. the you drinks that you're drinking. It's all and um, they don't serve. Um, they don't have a liquor license, but it's BYOB. So if you want to bring mm. your orange juice and your that's champagne, for your mimosas, <laughs> go ahead and do it. So that's my plug. Where is it? They are uh four eighteen East Thirty First Street. Okay. Thank you for that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You thought I ain't have it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, guests, do you guys want to plug your social medias? If you don't have to, but sure, I can. I'll do Facebook is facebook.com slash man of humanism. <laughs> um, Instagram is humanist underscore Sean, and that's S E A N. And then I have Twitter, but I'm not really that active on it. It's mm-hmm. humanist Sean without the underscore. So. I'm good. I have a farmers only, but I'll. I'll uh uh-uh. A farmers only? No, I'm joking. I don't have no farmers only. I'm still on Black Planet. I'm trying to bring that. I got you. 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 I got you
black black planet. Yes. yes. No, I actually, <laughs> I actually appreciate the opportunities that social media has afforded. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have an Instagram. It's just absolutely not dumb thing. There's no fancy flair. There's no logo or nothing. Um, <laughs> but it's mainly just to absorb what's out there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of interesting stuff out there, and it exposes people to a lot of things they wouldn't otherwise. And it's definitely something going forward. I really wish I should do more to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. You know, promote yeah, well, connect with us. Yeah, you? definitely. And matter of fact, everybody connect with us, okay? Yeah. So, we are on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. No class podcast, of course. Um, you can check us out on Facebook and IG at No Class Podcast. On Twitter, we're No underscore Class Podcast. And if you have any questions comments you want to thank Sule and you want to thank Sean just like we do you can email us at no.classpodcast at gmail.com and um, I just want to say thank you guys again for coming like I love this conversation it was amazing thank you for having us this was dope Yes, follow me, follow me, follow me. <laughs> I mean, this type of exchange is about yeah. to blow up. Follow me. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see y'all next time, listeners. Well, you'll hear from us next time. Stay hydrated, melanated, and glowed up. Bye. <laughs>